everybody to the pop culture historians for another week our classic doctor who watch slash rewatch i'm the watch my name is ryan ritter and uh on the line is jimmy he's the rewatch jimmy how are you today i'm really good how are you good uh really looking forward to uh this week's episode um we have a huge huge one um that we you know we knew it was coming it was set up by a kind of a shorter episode we did a couple weeks ago uh, regarding the episode Mission to the Unknown, which is setting up the show we're going to be talking about for at least this week. Um, the Daleks' master plan, uh, a serial so big that uh, we're going to have to split it up into two episodes. Um, so what you're listening to, you probably already know this. It's indicated in the title, but just in case you just randomly click around on episodes of stuff, this will be part one. Um, we're going to be discussing our feelings on this mega epic serial as a whole, as well as the production. We're going to be breaking down episodes one through six only this week. And then next week, um, we're going to be breaking down episodes seven through 12, uh, along with a couple other surprises. Um, so that's the game plan here, because there's just too much content, and the, the story is just too big to be contained for one week. Uh <laughs> So I'm trying to figure out where we should start. Again, this is the Daleks Master Plan, ran for 12 weeks. And I don't know if we want to start with like cast and cast and crew or writer director stuff. Uh, yeah, why don't we start let's, there. Let's start with yeah behind the scenes. So this there's was a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. This one was written by two different writers. Uh, episodes one through five and seven were written by Dalek creator Terry Nation. Mm-hmm. Episodes, episode uh, six, and then also eight through twelve were written by Dennis Spooner. All both names should be familiar to listeners. Uh, Darian Nations, of course, created the Daleks, and this is his fifth story for the for the show so far. This is his last story in the '60s, but he comes back in the '70s and writes a few more. And then, of course, Dennis Booner, former script editor. This is his fourth and final story for the show. Both Dennis Booner and Terry Nation go on to create a show called The Baron. After this, they kind of leave the show to create this. It was for a different British TV station. It also got aired in America. And it was a little bit of higher production quality than Doctor Who. Um, 
but yeah, so that's why they're no longer going to be part of the or the show because they just go on to other things. It's just a, that's a shame. Uh, it kind of feels like the uh, not the end of an era, but I think we've talked about you know the last couple of weeks that kind of a familial quality that the show had had, um, especially in season two and even you know a lot of season one starting to fade a little bit as people uh, both on screen and off uh, start to leave. And uh, (laughs) that continues here, uh, both on screen and off. Um, It feels like change is coming quickly. Yeah. Well, it's coming quickly. And of course, you know, this, this 12 parter was in kind of development while Dennis Booner was still a script editor. Uh, and so he's obviously no longer the script editor at this point. It's Donald Tosh. And even you know, Barry Lambert was the producer when this got going. It's John Wiles, who's the producer now. And this was such a huge undertaking that John Wiles was on the verge of a nervous breakdown while making it. And in fact, um, in part due to this serial and other considerations, because you know they're never just working on one serial. So they're working on this one, but they're also working on the next couple serials down the line. So there's a couple of reasons for this, but basically, like I think with one more episode to go, Wiles hands in his resignation as producer. Which is uh, crazy. I didn't yeah. realize that. He just got here. <laughs> Yeah, he just got here. This is technically his second serial as a producer. And of course, he didn't want to make the serial. This was very Lambert's and Dennis Spooner and Terry Nation's baby that he just kind of got thrust with. And his working relationship with William Hartner was so terrible. And there's also a couple other considerations because even though he hands his resignation in, he, he and Donald Tosh's work, he doesn't leave right away. And then even after they leave, a couple of the stuff they had worked on still gets made and, and filmed. So we're still going to be talking about John Wiles and Donald Tosh for the next couple of serials. And troubles with those ones are also part of the reason why he leaves. Hmm. But a big part of him leaving was also this having to make this. And like he, in his own words, he was on the or he was about to have a nervous breakdown making this. You know, that's not surprising because as you mentioned, like you know things. You know, uh, William Hartnell's relationship with uh, the staff and the show in general is starting to further erode. Um, you know, there's kind of conflicting stories. You know, there's a pretty great documentary done by the uh, wonderful Joshua Snares that you can find online about the uh, making of this. And, you know, Gene Marsh, who we'll talk about, we've talked about before, we'll bring up again, is, you know, quick to point out that, you know, he is, he was nice to work with and, um, Kind of a lovely man in terms of the, uh, you know, the learning of the lines and the actually making of the show and the acting of the scenes. But it's it's very clear that, you know, his health was starting to deteriorate a little bit. And there's a couple episodes in this that he, he's, you know, the, the pictures and the footage that we do have, because, of course, a lot of this is missing. He is starting to look a little rough. And, um, you know, does the staff's struck for for a little bit because of um blow up uh with his hairdresser which it's just i'm just imagining i'm just imagining that in my head and it's feels both terrifying terrifying and kind of funny (laughs) and uh yeah it just kind of feels like kind of bad times we're in the middle of here in this portion of doctor who history yes 
Well, and something, and we'll talk more about this when we get to the actual serials Wiles and Donald Tosh were in charge of. But they had kind of a different vision for the show, too. Sure. And I think that trickles into here because this is a, this is a little bit of a change of tone for the show. I mean, there's always been kind of a creepiness and a seriousness, but it's never been as dark as what we get in the Daleks Master Plan, I don't think. Oh, brother, is it ever like... Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, obviously this, this serial was a, kind of the brainchild of Dennis Spooner and Terry Nation, but, you know, Wiles and Dosh did have a big part of it, you know, because Nation, he was busy trying to make a new show, The Baron, while writing this. And apparently his scripts were not long enough. And so, you know, it's hard to say, you know, exactly how much, but Donald Tosh, had to fill in a bunch of a bunch of time for this for this serial and like even you know of course we have our, our first companion death with this serial with katarina yeah and and part of it was you know they decided to get rid of vicky maureen o'brien or or you know contractual contractual and you know, just kind of behind the scenes reasons. And so they made this Katarina character. And then when they were writing future serials, they were, they were like having trouble writing the exposition for her. Cause as someone from Troy, you know, how do you explain all these futuristic concepts to her? And so, um, and apparently they still won that they, they were kind of planning on killing off. If Vicky were around, they would have killed off Vicky here, but they decided to kill off Katarina instead because they just, they were having trouble writing for the character going forward, which for me, that's a little bit lame. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, like you make it work, make her learn, you know, you, you can, you can put things in simple, simple terms. And that's, that would be a good thing for kids as well. Like explain these high con high concept, scientific ideas. To a, to a child, it's not that different from explaining it to someone from Troy, an adult from Troy, I wouldn't think. So I don't think so. Yeah, so that, that idea that you couldn't make someone from Troy or a historical companion work, I reject that idea, but that, that's the explanation they gave. It almost feels like they... It almost feels like... Not buyer's remorse. That's not quite the right term. But it's almost like they knew they kind of bungled the Vicky thing and they got cold feet with this new direction. So they almost like did this hard reset and then followed by another hard reset. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And uh, I'll just get like my one real negative about this uh, serial out of the way. I think they totally bungled that uh, that death, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and part of it is because they bungled, I think, the handling of Vicky. And I know there's kind of nothing you can do once you don't renew her contract. That's it. Like you can't go back and like fix that. But imagine if they had thought it out just a little bit and brought her back for whatever, like the three and three and a half episodes that Katarina was in. Imagine if that was Vicky. That would, it would have, that, yeah, it would have been yeah. a great memorable moment instead of just kind of like a shocking moment, which is what it all it is. Cause we don't really know Katarina and we don't get to know her much mm -hmm. in this. And that's a shame. That's the one real, uh, I wish, you know, it's the progression of how that actually happened. It wasn't like they had this master plan of like, we're going to bring in a companion and kill her off. 
that's just kind of how it worked out. But imagine if they just brought back Vicky for the first third of this, and then she gets this brutal death. I mean, in a way, I'm kind of happy that Vicky gets a happy ending, as far as we know. I would prefer that to her floating around in space. That would just be <laughs> cruel, but at least it would have some weight to it as it, as it happens. And we'll get to it when we get to it uh, uh, this week. But um, it happens. The death of Katarina just kind of is a thing that happens. And it's certainly shocking and we feel bad for her. But we just didn't know her yet. I'll definitely agree that Katarina's death lacks some weight because she's only in four episodes, you know, and she was barely in the last episode of the myth makers. She was just kind of there and she was given some stuff to do in his first, in her first three episodes here, but there's so much going on with the Daleks and Brett Vion and stuff like that, that, yeah, you, you don't get to really care about Katarina and then she's just dead. But there is something I did. I do like about it. Obviously if it were Vicky, it would have had a bigger impact. But there's there's something I do kind of like about it in that, you know, in that situation, Vicky may have been able to figure something out, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's a more capable person, whereas Katarina thinks she's in the underworld. You know, she has no way of like knowing how to act in this situation. You know, and the and and her death is kind of a failure on on the doctor. That's right? true. Whereas with like Vicky. You know, she's a more capable person. Her death, you know, she, you, you wouldn't completely blame the doctor on her death. Where, where Katarina, I do think, and in fact, they do this intentionally, right? Because how she dies is kind of the doctor's fault in the sense that he he didn't close the door, right? Right. And right. so I think, you know, I think you have this person who's literally treating the doctor like a god, just doing whatever the doctor tells him to. And being someone even the doctor doesn't know that much about, right? Exactly. And having her meet this terrible end, you know, that's that's the doctor's failure of responsibility. And it really and is a bleak end, too. By the it's way, it's a very bleak end. Um, and they give a, you know they 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 write a lovely, lovely monologue written by Donald Tosh kind of about Katarina. And so while her her death may not be as impactful as if it were Vicky doing it. I do think thematically it really works. Yeah, I'll give you that. And really, I don't I, I didn't mean to front load all this with like the one real negative out the gate. I think we can kind of transition to overall thoughts about all twelve parts. Uh, I thought this was a great story. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess I'll, I guess I've already started on my overall thoughts. Uh, so I'll just keep going. Um, it struck me, we've t- mentioned this before on a couple of other uh, Doctor Who serials. I don't remember which ones exactly, but some of the really great ones almost kind of feel like a showcase of uh, what the show can really do at this point in its history. Um, you know, something like The Chase, you know, you have like your serious moments and you have these really goofy moments. And I felt like the Daleks Master Plan was kind of that times 10 or times 12, if you will. <laughs> you have these. You have some. Of, you have some of the darkest moments of the show up to this point. Like just point blank. Like you have. There's a shot. I mean, it's a reconstructed shot, because again, we should mention twelve episodes. Nine. Nine are essentially are missing. Some of them for good. It feels like, with only three yeah. recovered. So there's a lot of loose cannon reconstructions. Although I thought they did a great job with this one. 
Um, they did. So, you know, you have this shot of Katarina floating in space, and you have Sarah turning into dust at the end. Bleak stuff. But alongside of it are, are some broad comedy. Um, you know, we'll get into the, that specific episode uh, in a minute, and we'll be breaking it down next week. And you also have, like, your space stories with the Daleks front and center, like, this iconic villain, along with, like, some historical stuff. It, it feels like if you had to hand someone you know, give me the best of the William Hartnell era without having seen all of it yet. I feel like this could be a good one to hand over to someone to kind of get a good snapshot of what the show could do. And um, I think for as much behind the scenes chaos as there was, you don't see a whole lot of it here. I think it's, I think it's pretty stellar overall. What do you think yeah. of Master Plan? Oh yeah, I love it. It's you know, for for long Doctor Who fans, it's kind of like the the holy grail of missing episodes, right? If you can get these twelve back now, of course you mentioned um, the one episode that it's not known there was ever a copy made of is the Christmas episode, you know, episode seven, because you know it was so seasonal, and and they intentionally made it like skippable. Yes, uh, it very much knew- is a side quest. Yeah, because they knew a lot of people didn't necessarily watch TV on Christmas at that time. Now, of course, Christmas television is a staple of British television, but at that time it wasn't. And so they intentionally made it just kind of like a, you know, something if you missed, you literally wouldn't, you, you could pick up an episode eight and just be completely fine. And so it was just never made. So of all the missing episodes, there are episode seven is the most missing episode in the sense of like, it's almost certainly gone forever. Which is a shame because I actually really love that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, I, <laughs> and of course, that's that's going to be a conversation for the next um, part two. Uh, we're going to be right, leading right. off with that one. But yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, it is a shame. But again, you have like this really broad kind of silly filler episode, which I think is a term that gets overused sometimes. Um, but, but this is the definition of a filler episode. Yes, it is. <laughs> but it's great. And it's 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 so funny, like, of, of the nine remaining episodes, like, that would be the one I kind of would want to be recovered if I had, yeah. if a, a magic genie came out and said, I can give you back one of these. It'd probably be that one, like, the least essential one. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the strength of kind of where the show was, like, you know, because there's some other episodes that would be great to have back. The last episode would be wonderful. And a couple others but anyway yeah I, I think it's remarkable that's able to kind of maintain this balance the, this dark versus the kind of light it's kind of like what they did in the romans which is also a very dark story with some really broad comedy but you buy it um no matter right. which way they go with it and uh, and i agree and of course being being 12 episodes it also on the stuff to that but i agree it's kind of a distillation of of everything the William Harnell era could do. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, you had the, the set piece in Egypt, a couple episodes in Egypt. You had the, mm-hmm. you know, the the villains, you know, the Daleks. The monk came back for this. Monk, Den so fun. Is a great villain. Um, you have really good companions, like, you know, Brett Vion's a memorable character. Sarah Kingdom's a memorable character. Of course, Stephen, I think, is a great companion. And... And so the, this one does kind of have it all as far as what the William Hartnell era could could provide. And it's very much, you know, it's a great Dalek story. Uh, 
you know, yeah. Marvick Chen kind of um, upstages them a little bit, but not in a bad way, I don't think. But it is it, it is fun. He upstages them enough. Like by the end of this story, you're almost like on the Dalek side in the sense that like he's wanted he's wanted to kill this guy. <laughs> like <laughs> yes. he's such a jackass. <laughs> like right, he is. He is absolutely. Um, and, and right, and being able to make that kind of character as a credible threat, but also where you you enjoy watching them, but also you enjoy hating them. You know, I mean, that's a difficult mm-hmm. balance to strike. Yeah, it's very difficult. And I, my last kind of thought about it is I feel like the, um, the scope of the show has been opened up significantly. And we kind of talked about this, we broached this subject a little bit with the time meddler, which is interesting because both of these stories involve the monk, but you're, this is like the clearest sense. I know there's not really a mythology to this show in as much, you know, it's not like it's star Wars where everyone's trying to fit everything into like this one defined timeline. It's kind of a looser thing. But this is the first one where I really do feel like the scope of the show is expanded. We have like this galactic council. We have this like head of the solar system. We have these rec- returning villains and like these kind of like returning plot lines. I think the monk coming back is significant because, you know, the Daleks have been in several stories, but this is the first one where it's really like, hey, remember where last you left me off? Like, now I'm going to get revenge for that. Like, the, like, this thing that happened like 30 episodes ago. It's like picking up. There's like a real defined continuity with the monk. And that felt new for this show. Well, and in fact, this whole season so far has been a little more tightly knit than previous ones, I would argue. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And, you know, of course, uh, I've said before, there's no Doctor Who canon. It's a very inconsistent show. But I would I will say, oftentimes, each era is kind of consistent to itself. Hmm. Interesting. You know, you know, because we've seen that. You already mentioned a couple of times with William Hartnell, how, you know, there's some continuity building consistency. It's just that, you know, the show goes on for 26 years. And right. there's not a situation where you had a lot of reruns and you know, stuff like that. And so a lot of the writers just kind of, they might not have been paying attention to exactly what happened in the William Horner era when they're writing in the seventies. Right. It just didn't matter back then. I feel like this it, idea. It, yeah, it was certainly wasn't as new. important to, it wasn't as important to, um, to, to the writers for sure. Now I will say there were some fans who it was important to. There's kind of a famous instance, which I'll get to it. Where basically they go to the, the same place three three different times and a writer and a, and a fan writes in and says like wait a minute how, how do you do this three times and they're like oh yeah <laughs> um but we'll we'll talk about that when we get there um, that's, that's exciting cool. i'm trying to think of more overall stuff yeah uh we 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 burned through companions really quickly like it's funny we had the sustained era with uh, you know ian barbara susan and now it's like we've gone we like once we go through like three companions and i know there's probably some and this could be a conversation that could be tabled for next week if you want but there's you know there's some question as to whether brett and sarah really count as companions which i think is kind of kind of a silly debate point but you know i i understand there's some question as to whether like sarah in particular really counts as like a companion and i don't know if that's something we want to talk about next week in which case i'll just edit this out but um I think she clearly counts. Yeah, she clearly counts. We can just go. She clearly counts, and even like she has she has more life in the extended universe. And we can talk. Mm. I was going to talk about this more next 
next video, but basically when they're on the run from the Daleks, right, there's room in there for her to have multiple adventures with the Doctor and Steven. And if you, you know, Aha. there's no Doctor canon, but there are Doctor stories that exist while they're on the run. Basically in between, seven, you know, the Christmas episode and the, the one with the monk in Egypt, the Doctor, uh, Stephen, and uh, Sarah go on several adventures, or they don't if you don't like the, that idea. See, I love that. That's great. It's like optional canon or something. <laughs> yeah, great. those stories exist, and if you like them, and I've listened to some of them, and I've actually really liked them. They've got Gene Marsh back to, to do some audio stories for Big Finish, and they're, they're a lot of fun. Of course, I'm, I am a Sarah Kingdom fan. Um, yeah, well, I thought she was really strong in this, um, which is surprising because I was I was hesitant to like accept the new, you know, the Vicky Katarina kind of whiplash. But she's great. Yeah, I wish she'd she stuck around. Yeah, and, and apparently um, they had thought about asking her, but they never did. And if they had, she would have. Jean Marsh would have said no because she didn't want to be tied down to a a TV show at that time. And of course, like you got to remember, if you're doing a TV show in that time, you're not doing anything else. Right. You know, that, 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 that's that's your, your your job for almost 52 weeks of the year, right? And it's, whereas, like these days, you can do a TV show and also do like movies and other things, right? Um, and so yeah, so we haven't finished talking about all the production side of things. This one was directed by Douglas Campfield, who should be another name we recognize. He Sounds also directed familiar. the third episode of Planet of Giants, or really the third and the fourth, but he directed The Crusade, The Chase, The Time Meddler. Strong stuff. Yeah. This is his fourth story for us, Manana's Last. And he did all 12, right? And he did all 12, yeah. So he kind of... Insane. Yeah, and I feel like this is kind of really... He just directed two serials, right? I feel like The Dallas Nest Plan is really two serials in one. I agree. Um, which, you know, which is fine. And then the music. So I've been wanting to talk about the music. Here so this go. music was originally supposed to be done by Dudley Simpson, who's going to be kind of the main composer, you know, pretty soon going forward. But Camfield had a falling out with Simpson over the way he did the music for the Time Meddler and the Crusade. So he didn't want to work on this one. So Tristram Carey got hired for this one. And we had previously heard his music in the Daleks and Marco Polo. Hmm. I remember the music being kind of strong in Marco Polo. It's been a while, but right, and I, I think the music strong is, one overall. I, I remember the music here is strong too. I think it's really subdued. Agreed. And in, and it kind of leans into the eerie, which I think fits what they were going for with the story. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Yeah, uh, I feel like I had some other kind of point here. I don't know that I do. I, I didn't mention like when this aired. I mean. Christmas shows up right in the middle and you know everyone talks about the Christmas episode there's also episode eight is kind of a New Year's Day episode which is kind of cool that's true yeah, uh, yeah. of course the 12 episodes ran through uh, November 13th 1965 to January 29th 1966 so this is uh, oh that was my question and uh, we can kind of jump into the breakdowns after this did people know in advance how long these things are supposed to go? Like, I don't know if they... Yes. 
Okay. Yeah, they do. The like the Radio Times will basically say, you know, upcoming as a four part story from Doctor Who, upcoming as a six part story from Doctor Who. Um so yeah, they do if you're paying attention. Got and it. And you're reading the the local publication about it. And some Got people it. would just tune in every week and like, oh, you know, kinda not paying attention to that and some people would, you know. Uh, of course, Dalek stories got typically more viewers because um, you know, they were popular. Of course, this one hovered around upper <laughs> nine million, almost ten million, which is a little bit less than previous Dalek stories I've gotten, but still pretty strong and still pretty consistent. The fact that it kept that viewership for almost all twelve stories, except for the Christmas Day one, is is pretty pretty impressive. I think it showed that people who were interested were enjoying it and watching it. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um yeah, just did a strong, you, strong show overall, huh? Did you? So, did you want to talk about some of the actors? Yeah, I do. And I was, you know, there's a there there are a lot, and there's a ton that are like uncredited. Like, there's a it's it's a big story, and I want to focus on a few that pop up uh, in this first half, and we can kind of you know maybe go over some people who show up in the second half next week. But um, as mentioned, uh, Jean Marsh plays Sarah Kingdom. Uh, we've seen her before. She was Joanna in the Crusade, a strong, you know, partially missing performance there too. So she has another strong, partially missing uh, performance uh, this week, and uh, it, it, hugely credited. Almost too big of a get. It doesn't surprise me that she would have turned down the show had it been offered. She almost seems like not too big for the show, but it would have been a massive like that's a massive hire. And we're right. kind of just fortunate to get her for as long as we do. And she'll be back on the show a couple more times, uh, apparently. One more time in the final season. Whoa, cool. Yeah, so you won't be seeing her again for quite some time, but you will okay. be seeing her again. Uh, we have uh, Nicholas Courtney as uh, Brett, the aforementioned Brett Fion, who I understand will be crucial, critical to the show going forward. Um, he, he plays a, a fan favorite character in the 70s, um, late 60s. 70. So you 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 will be seeing again him again, a decent yeah. amount, but not in this role. Uh, I yeah, I so that, I guess that's understandable because <laughs> uh, he's dead. Um, yeah. So for now, he only appears in a couple episodes. But you know, like many of the people we have on the show, um, humongous career in stage and film. Uh, Brian Cant as Kurt Gantry, who we also will see again. You're sitting the uh, you've seen a. Uh, pattern here we've talked about how once you're kind of in the doctor who family you tend to kind of stay in it um appears on a little show called z cars or zed cars which is a kind of a point of contention for episode seven i guess they wanted some of the characters of that show to show up on the christmas episode and that was roundly rejected they wanted some of the actors and be kind of a fun crossover like the idea that the doctor just because it was a police drama Right. You know, it, it would be like today if Doctor Who landed and met, like, the Law and Order characters. <laughs> the amazing uh, ones in the iced tea. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, but, you know, they said no because, you know, they just want to be considered a serious show. And also, they're busy filming their own stuff, you know? I mean, yeah, understandable. They, the show was going to the same, same place as Doctor Who. And so these actors are busy. Yeah. That, I, I don't blame them for turning it down. Although it would have been fun. It would have been uh, fun. He's, 
probably best known as the narrator of JJ the Jet Plane. I don't know if you remember that show at all, but I don't remember that. Okay, well, he was the narrator of it. Uh, sorry, is this getting yep. in? And then finally, the the, the big. Big, the big real guest star we have is uh, Kevin Stoney as the aforementioned Mavic Chen. Um, a humongous role. And he will ap- appear again. Uh, appeared in a lot of UK cult favorites. Uh, he won't appear as Mavic Chen, obviously, like Brett Vion. He is dead. <laughs> but he appears in a lot of UK cult favorites. He's in stuff like Space 1999 and like shows like The Tomorrow People. Fans of 80s Nickelodeon might remember that show. Uh, kind of a fun fact about him, uh, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. A Doctor Who fan magazine reported him as dead in 1987. And um, his appearance at a fan convention shortly after that kind of busted that rumor. <laughs> no, I did not know. I did not see that. That's hilarious. Yeah. So look, even before the internet, misinformation could travel fast. Um, and then he, did, <laughs> he lived another 20 years after that supposed death, and he uh, passed away in 2008. And he even appears very briefly in um, one of the introductions to the uh, loose cannon reconstruction. But yeah, uh, there's a lot of people, and um, I don't know that I can mention all of them, but those are the four kind of big ones, uh, at least for this um, half of the Dalek's master plan. That's what I have. Um, do we want to jump in and yeah, break down just, the first six? Yeah, let's just jump in. All right. We start. So we open with episode one, titled The Nightmare Begins. A pretty strong title, if <laughs> I do say so myself. We welcome you as we welcome all allies of the Daleks. I am honored to be here. And to be part of your plan to conquer Earth and all the planets in the solar system. For sure. This is definitely a nightmare serial for the Doctor and Stephen. Absolutely. And this this episode is uh, pretty straightforward. Actually, I think like the first half of this is kind of all kind of uh, right down to business. So this is very much like an A to B to C quality to this episode. Right. So we, and, uh, and and I should say, and something I forgot to mention before is, yeah. this was originally supposed to be a six episode serial. That's right. Mm-hmm. And and then the BBC was like, well, the Daleks are so popular, just, just double it, just make it four. <laughs> uh, and so I think that that kind of uh, you know shows why like the first half of this really is kind of kind of streamlined. And then I mean, once you hit the middle point, it gets a little more. Um, it broadens. It brought in for sure. Yeah. So we open uh, as we were. This is kind of picking up for both uh, Mission to the Unknown and uh, uh, the War Horse. Is that it? Is that what the last episode was called? Uh, the, uh, the Myth Makers. Yeah, the Myth Makers. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen. You know, Stephen's injured. Um, I think he has blood poisoning. Um, yes. And so they land on the planet Kemble uh, in order to find some medicine. Uh, the doctor goes out to search for said medicine, and uh, Katarina stays with Stephen to kind of tend to him and you know, keep an eye on him. Uh, and that's immediately where we leave them. Uh, we pick up with two space agents, um, the aforementioned Brett Vion and uh, Kurt Gantry, who is uh, suffering an unde- – I think it's undisclosed injury, right? Just that they've been yes. through something and they're now on the run. Exactly. I mean, when we meet them, they're not in good shape. Right. And quickly and, through dialogue, we learn that they're looking for 
the space agent from Mission to the Unknown. Yeah, Mark Corey. Mark Corey, yeah. So immediately tying it back into that kind of a special episode. So this is kind of a part two. Um, yeah, and so this is why I'm in the camp. Mission to the Unknown is not its own serial. It's, this is a 13-part serial. It's just the first part happens before the other 12. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. I think if someone were to say, like, I, I want to watch the Dalek's Master Plan, I would say watch this first and then jump into that. Um, so, so we have these two space agents. They're on the run. They're trying to contact Earth, but they can't for some mysterious reason. On top of all that, we cut away to the Space Security Service headquarters where we have two characters whose names I had to look up. <laughs> I believe it's Rold and Lazan. I think that might be right. And we don't really, I mean, they're not, they show up again, but not like crucial. Yeah, yeah they're not like huge characters. Uh, Rolled played by Philip Anthony and Lazan played by uh, Pamela Greer. Not Pam Greer, Pamela <laughs> Greer. Uh, Big difference. Uh, yeah, they cannot be more different. <laughs> um, and they're watching uh, the broadcast of the aforementioned Mavic Chen. So I guess his official title is Guardian of the Solar System. I might as well leader of the Solar System, but it all easily. And I feel like this scene is more of a, you know, world building exposition scene than it is anything else. I mean, you do kind of get to know these two characters, and it seems like they're going to be a bigger part of the story, and they're not. But I think the purpose of the scene is kind of be like, here's how people think of Marvick Chen. Here's how, you know, here's what people know about where Brett Vion is and stuff like that. It's just, you're really giving you information as an audience. Yeah. And I will say, I thought the character of Mavic Chen was interesting, like from the get go here. Cause like you, obviously they're setting him up to like be a heel, but he's presented as this kind of like, you know, uh, being a space politician is a, is a drag. I'm, you know, after 25 years of you know keeping the peace, there hasn't been a war in half a century. Uh, I'm going on holiday. Um, <laughs> so, the guardian of the solar system is going away on holiday. He will no doubt say a few well-chosen words. Every well-chosen word will no doubt be transmitted. <laughs> uh, right. So yeah, he kind of has this air of benevolence, but you kind of get a sense from the way he's uh, being played and portrayed that like uh, I think that this guy's going to be up to something uh, not so great. Right. And and it also helps you get like kind of the, the two characters ideas of him and right. they're pretty much your typical ideas anyone might have of a politician, right? I mean one person really likes him, the other person thinks he's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it feels like an honest portrayal like <laughs> of a <laughs> Of a guy who's like the a, a, a space. I mean, I think they use the term space politician. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, we check back in with Gantry and Vion. Uh, they've kind of given up on reaching Earth. Gantry says, "You know, go on without me." Vion doesn't want to do it. This is standard kind of two soldier <laughs> kind of stuff, right? And right, uh, yeah. It, it, I mean, Terry Nations wasn't exactly breaking the mold with these scenes, but you know, they, they serve their purpose. They let the Daleks kill the kill someone in the first episode, while also like establishing Brett Vian as the hero archetype, archetypal character. Yeah, exactly. So we're in this moment. Yeah, as you mentioned, the Dalek uh, does kill uh, Gantry. Uh, he's not. He's not in this pretty much at all. 
Uh, <laughs> so Vion's kind of up against it. He breaks his transmitter. Uh, he has nowhere to go. He's all by himself. But it's at this moment that who should appear but the TARDIS? Yeah. <laughs> kind of this nice little dramatic and, moment. Right. And this is kind of, to his perspective, doddering old man, right? <laughs> It's always just, it's always fun to watch these uh people be introduced to Hartnell's doctor for the first time and they always have these wild different ideas of him. He was a god <laughs> in the last <laughs> batch of episodes and now he's just like this weird old coot. <laughs> ah, so you've left the key in the door. Well, well, the first big mistake, isn't it? Yes. Very foolish. Very foolish indeed, young man. Well now, if it's brain. Or broad, rather, versus brain. <laughs> I got you beaten from the start, young man. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Vion basically, it, you know, just cuts us back to the beginning of the episode where, um, you know, they're landing to find some medicine. The doctor comes out. Brett Vion follows him. And uh, they have a confrontation. And um, how does that go down? Well, basically, Vion kind of strong arms the doctor into blame into the TARDIS. So this episode's moving like from the get-go here. We're not wasting yeah. any time. We're not wasting and, time. And of course it helps. It helps that, it, you know, I think, you know, this, this serial has been planned in the works for a while. And so when they were working on the myth makers, they knew to be setting up this serial. And so it helps that, you know, we're, we're really, there's a lot of momentum from the myth makers going straight into the serial. It's, you know, you could argue you could watch. I mean, it's a, it would definitely be like a side story, but you could argue that you could watch the myth makers as part of this, the kind of like that in between mission to the unknown and this, cause you know, it does pick up right from that. Well, absolutely. And Katarina is a kind of a character who's limited to these two serials. Mm-hmm. You know, we start out with Steven being injured. I absolutely think, you can make an argument that Mythmakers is part of this story, mm-hmm. um, but you know you also have to kind of draw the line at some point. Yeah, but it goes to your point that you've been making the past couple of weeks that this season feels a little bit more tightly knit than maybe past ones, uh, and this and that's an example of that. So uh, Mayon uh, is uh, trying to is trying to come near the TARDIS. Um, it doesn't help matters that Kenarita doesn't really know what's going on. She doesn't know how to fly it. Um, Although I will say, even though we don't get to see it, I feel like this is the first time with Brett Vion going into the TARDIS. It's the first time in a long time where we've had a character have like a proper reaction to being inside the TARDIS for the first time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we should mention this. Um, I, unless noted, these episodes are gone. I don't know if we mentioned specifically which ones have been recovered, but episode- but yeah, episodes. Yeah. Two, five, and ten still exist. The rest of them are almost completely missing. Episode four was lent to a kind of a show called Blue Peter, who was hosted by Peter Purvis oh. at least a little bit. I don't know if he was hosting. I don't know how long he hosted. That's something I should look up. But I know that at some point, Peter Purvis was uh, the host of Blue Peter. Got it. Um, but yeah, they wanted to show a clip from this episode and that clip still exists, but they never returned the episode. So uh, there, but it also means there could be an episode four floating around and blue Peter 
back room somewhere or something you know that, uh, that would be a great one to have back like like it would be like for instance two of the episodes were found in the basement of a of a mormon church and no one knows how the church got them that blew, I think, that blew my mind to, yeah to hear that yeah and so you know there probably are missing episodes that are still out there somewhere someone just has to notice them and just, we have no idea what those are and when or if they'll ever be found yeah, we'll see. Everyone, check your check your garages. You never know. <laughs> Especially if you live in Australia, Singapore, or or uh, England. Exactly. For our international listeners, check <laughs> those attics, people. Uh, so anyway, so um, they're trying to get uh, Vion just kind of starts touching stuff, right? He's just trying to get to do something. Uh, yeah. And, and turn on the scanner. Mm-hmm. And Steven sees. Uh, doctor who uh, i would say the wikipedia page has a very irate looking doctor which i'll have to kind of take their take their word for um <laughs> steven gets his strength up but he knocks brett out they kind of strap him into a chair and the doctor goes back uh to what he was doing uh which is finding medicine should we stay with the tardis for a little bit yeah let's stay with the tardis for a little bit yeah so this scene this is brett kind of kind of trying to convince katarina that he's He's no actual threat. He's just he's just on an urgent mission, right? That's this scene. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, and that he has medicine for Stephen in his bag. That's right. And of course, mm-hmm. Katarina, you know, the doctor's left again to go search for a nearby civilization, and you know, now she's she's the one in charge of the TARDIS, and she doesn't know what's going on. Right. right? I mean, she's, 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 Complete. I mean, she's completely unsuited for this task the doctor's given her. But at the same time, like he has to, because Stephen is dying. Right. Um, it's good but, drama. Yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, she decides to, to trust Brett, knowing it could be a gigantic mistake. I also think the fact that she thinks she's already dead is why she's maybe willing to take a little more of a risk here. Right. Um, and it turns out uh, it was a good idea for her to do because he did have medicine that could help Stephen. Fantastic. I think that's the last we see of them in this episode. So let's go follow the doctor. This episode speeds by. Um, following the doctor, um, I guess we should even go back to the, with the Daleks, or they're they're waiting for the arrival of a specifically spaceship one eleven, and uh, <laughs> which uh, there you go. It's different from spaceship one ten. The doctor hears the spaceship landing, and he decides to kind of follow the sound of it, wondering. You know, where where is it heading to? Might it even have medicine for Stephen? Not knowing that, of course, that's been resolved now. And uh, as the spaceship lands, we see Mavic Chen come out of it, and he's uh, he seems like he's being pretty chummy and friendly with the Daleks here, which is uh, kind of curious and uh, potentially very ominous. And that's a this kind of starts off the storyline. That I actually really liked, and that they set up a lot of it in the first half, so that there's a lot of payoff in the second half. The kind of the politics and the kind of the backstabbing, you know, this kind of like no honor amongst thieves kind of plot line that the Daleks and uh, Mavic Chen and a couple of his uh, cronies kind of. <laughs> there's this constant power struggle that I found really interesting. I agree. I agree. And being 12 episodes, they didn't have time to let it breeze, but most of the work is done in these first six for sure. Yeah. And of course, the doctor sees this, and he's horrified to see that um, his old enemies have 
returned. Yeah, he, he was just looking for medicine, and suddenly runs into a bunch of Daleks. It's a uh... <laughs> yeah, that that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so he heads back to the TARDIS, and what does he see there? More Daleks, if, I'm, if my memory says <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, they're trying to get into the TARDIS. Yes, and, uh, f- fellas and ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of episode one. The nightmare has begun. <laughs> <laughs> That gets us to episode two, which I think is even stronger titled, The Day of Armageddon. These are Daleks. Now you listen to me, young man. I'm in charge of this city. Oh, will you shut up? At least that stopped you arguing. Well, about my soul. Now, look here, I don't care what happens to you, but I have got to warn Earth. Yes, and you will have to do far more than that. If the Daleks are doing something drastic, then we have to stop the Daleks. Now, will you shut up, sir? Hmm? It doesn't really make much sense, but it is a strong. It doesn't, title. but it sounds it's very metal, and yeah. uh, for that I respect it. <laughs> and this episode we do have, we do get, to, so we do get to enjoy mm-hmm. some of the performances in full, and the, and the directing and and everything mm-hmm. that goes along with it. Yeah, um, it's it's great that we at least have some episodes for this because I feel like if we didn't, these reconstructions wouldn't have as much to work with because it's obvious a lot of the like still photos they're using are coming from these three episodes that still exist. Yep. Um, but also, like, being able to see some of these performances, you know, it really does make a huge difference. Agreed. Although I will mention, I, I, I had this thought, and I forgot to mention it uh, in the first half of this episode. I think of the ones that are majority lost, I feel like this one sustained itself through reconstructions more than maybe some others did. Because like, I had this thought of like a couple other ones, like Mythmakers, Marco Polo, which were very good. But I'm like, man, I wish I could have seen what this scene was. And I feel like often, even with nine reconstructions, I found myself kind of, I found it very compelling. I don't know if that's just, you know, the, the epic story quality, just kind of providing the momentum. But I thought this one sustained itself through reconstruction is better than many of the ones we've done so far i agree i, I also think it helps there's there's more photos and um and, and it is a more exciting story right and that's only part of it um supposed to like a more quiet like historical one here we got like space drama you know right, right exactly um so i think i think several reasons for that but i agree i also think loose cannon kind of stepped up a notch for this one too i think they they were like, you know, this is a big story, right? The Daleks master plan. It's this 12 part epic. And, you know, even though it probably didn't need to be 12 parts, the story doesn't drag like it, it did in some like seven or six episode stories. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The first Dalek story, which was seven parts, there's four episodes you probably could have cut out of it pretty yeah. easily. So yeah, somehow that seven part felt longer. Um, yeah. No, was this, here. This you was probably could have trimmed this by two or three episodes and been fine, but even yeah. those extra three episodes, they were kind of well-placed throughout that you didn't necessarily mind it as much. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So Dave Armageddon. So as we pick up, the doctor kind of hear, overhears Daleks referring to something uh, called Operation Inferno, which also would have been a good title for an episode. Yeah, I'm surprised, I'm surprised that wasn't the title of this one, Operation Inferno. Yeah. That's, that's the title. Uh, that's the title of the uh, album that Day of Armageddon does. Um, <laughs> so we're not sure what that means, although we get a little glimpse as to what that could mean. Um, as we cut back to the the city, of the you know the Dalek city, uh, Chen meets the ruler, something called the ruler of the fifth galaxy. I don't know if you really need to hold on to that. 
but um, well, his name is Zephon. But I will say, like, I mean, this does kind of go back to the we were talking about sleeker continuity, right? Galaxy Four, <gasps> You're first right. episode, right? And so now we got Galaxy Five. Now it doesn't make sense that someone's a ruler of an entire galaxy, but whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, I didn't even put that together, but yeah, you're dead yeah. on. And I'm thinking that part that that was probably added by Donald Tosh, if I had a guess, because he mm. was the script editor for Galaxy Four, and that was earlier this season. And probably so, my guess is when they were doing this, he was like, "Hey, let's let's keep it continuity going a little bit. Let's make him from Galaxy Five. I like it. I, that's th- that's smart. I don't think I would have put that together. Uh, so Zephon and Chen. And I should I should say Zephon to look at him. He kind of reminds me of like the Grim Reaper as um kind of personified by Family Guy. He's just like this like black cloaked guy, and you don't see his face, which is going to become right. important later on in this episode. Yes, and they don't seem to like each other very much, although they don't seem to know each other very well either. Um, because I guess Chen, <laughs> this Chen's alliance with the Daleks seems to have not. Didn't come without some controversy, uh, if I if I understand that correctly. Um, some some people right. on this Galactic Council seem to have issues with that. Well, yeah, and so you know, which usually happen on any Galactic Council, of course. Um, <laughs> sure, but for sure, yeah, some people you know were, didn't quite trust Chen in this because this is his galaxy they're conquering, right? Um, right, exactly. You know, he's only the guardian of the solar system; he wants the whole galaxy, um, but. Uh, yeah, so some people are a little, you know, hesitant to trust someone who would maybe turn against his own people. Right. And then the Daleks hear him talk about this, like, this ambition to rule over more than just the solar system. And uh, they kind of clock this and kind of put, put that away. I don't remember this. Is this the first time we ever meet the Dalek Supreme? Is that a new character or do we meet him in a previous story? I believe he wasn't. Well, I think this is the first time the Dalek Supreme has been referred to as the Dalek Supreme. Something okay. you do have to keep in mind is that during this time, Terry Nations had been had been writing a comic strip about the Daleks called The Daleks. <laughs> I see. Yeah, uh, and in that comic strip, he he introduces a whole bunch of Dalek characters, including the Dalek Supreme. And so um, some of some of the stuff he put in the in that those Dalek comics kind of bleeds into his writing for the um, the show. I like that. Are those available anywhere? Those, these comic strips are they preserved at all? Yeah, I mean, yes. I've I've looked at like, some of them. They're like one page. Got it. Like inserts, and it kind of got released weekly in a magazine. And I you can see. you can track them down. I don't know if they've ever been like collected in an omnibus edition and released, but they are like they do exist out there to where you can track them down. Got it. Yeah, I'll have to pin that for later. It could be interesting <laughs> to uh, to peruse a little bit. Anyway, it's only important. The Dalek Supreme mentions that um basically as soon as Chen gives them what they want, they're gonna. Uh, take them out <laughs> like they're going to do with everyone else. So we are, again, that power struggle. Everyone's kind of trying to backstab everyone else, which will become very is important it, as we move is it here? Is it here that they establish why Chen is important to the, the Galactic Alliance? I'm trying to remember. Um, I'm not sure. Um, if it, 
if it doesn't come up by the end of this episode, I mean, I mean, we can mention it here if we want. Yeah, might as well. You know, even we're going a little bit of order. We, yeah, of course. Yeah, um, you know, unfortunately for the Daleks' master plan, they made this weapon, and to power it, they need, I guess, the rarest element, r- r- rarest mineral in the entire universe, I guess. And locally, it can only be found on Uranus. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's an incredible line read in the second <laughs> half of this that um second half you know and like it was like seven or eight i don't remember which episode it was that uh yeah uh it being on uranus uh comes up and it's very funny <laughs> unintentionally yes <laughs> um but anyway yeah and so and it takes like decades to to mine as much as they needed to power this this uh, weapon, mm-hmm. and so only someone from the solar system could have given this to the Daleks. So that's why Mavic Chen is so important to this alliance. You know, being able to get this element, this mineral, is crucial to to their plans, to their master plan, if you will. Very good. Yeah, so it shows like why they can't just like kill him now and move on. Like they kind of have to deal with his. This has to go through him, <laughs> or it doesn't work. Right. Let's cut back over to uh, the doctor and Co. Um, they run in. Uh, Stephen and Katarina run into the doctor in the jungle, and Katarina tries to vouch for Brett. Essentially, is that right? Um, basically, yeah. he's, he basically saved their lives and. Um, he helped and, them get out as soon as the Daleks came. Right. And of course, Katarina and Brett don't realize the Daleks couldn't hurt the TARDIS. Right. And no, they didn't know. Yeah, they didn't know. So that's why yeah. they all escaped. Yeah. And this is where they start, tor- not they, the Daleks start um, basically torching the jungle, right? And this kind of right. early, it's, it's not bleak necessarily, but it is, it is cruel in a way that like, you know, it's funny they've killed people, but for some reason they're burning down like, the forest feels like mean <laughs> like because it's pointless it's just random destruction yeah um so brett kind of reconnects back with steve and katarina the doctor and this is where they're kind of at loggerheads with each other uh the doctor wants to go back to the tardis Stephen doesn't think that's a good idea brett tries to you know put in his two cents but the doctor doesn't trust him and he kind of lashes out at him I'm not sure how this uh, this grouping is going to work. Um, everyone kind of seems it's, it's a t- it's a it's a tense situation, and there's yeah, no real yeah. right answer. That's true. It's very dysfunctional, you know. Um, but eventually, they decide to go back to the city to steal a spacecraft. That's a, because that's as good as plan as any, yeah. Right, because the one thing they can all agree on is they have to stop the Daleks. They have to alert, alert Earth about the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little. There's a little moment here that we should uh, mention just because it sets up what the doctor does next. Uh, Chen and Zephon are watching the jungle burn. And uh, Chen says, I mean, I'm taking off to go join this galactic meeting where he's going to introduce essentially the master plan here. Uh, and Zephon's like, I'll go. I'll go when I feel like it, which both puts, you know, Stefan's now going to be alone by himself. It also kind of shows, again, Chen has power, but it doesn't mean people have to, like, listen to him necessarily. He's not... He's not... I don't know. It, it's kind of... It, it establishes... What am I trying to say? Like, 
he has he has power, but maybe not authority. Like you don't have to like subjugate yourself to him. Right, and certainly not respect. Right, that's it. Yeah, but that's kind of what happens when you uh, you know, you make your bed, you have to kind of lie in it. Mm-hmm. So, the doctor and Co. arrive at the Dalek City. Uh, Brett seems very surprised. He sees Chen's spaceship, and um, he kind of can't believe that he'd be in cahoots with the Daleks. But they identify this ship, the Spaceship 111, as uh, that's something they can hijack and get out of here and uh, warn Earth. And uh, this is this is where Zephon shows up real quick. I almost said, I almost said like, like Stefan. Uh, Zephon <laughs> shows up. <laughs> and this is where they, uh, they basically like knock him out and uh, the doctor decides to wear his robes and like crash the meeting. <laughs> right, which I love it. I love it. It's so ballsy. Yes, wonderful. Of course, like, Brett is like, are you are you freaking crazy, man? Like, what are you doing? Like, you get out of here. Why are you crashing a meeting? Uh, but the doctor like, no, I, I need, I have to know what the plan is. And you know, so I have, often, I have to... so often the doctor's curiosity is kind of like a reason. You know, we always talk about like, what is the reason that he can't just go back to the TARDIS and leave, right? Yeah. And often his innate curiosity is what kind of spurs that. Here it almost like drives them into further danger unnecessarily. Like he's so but curious I, to the point of hubris. Yeah, but at the same time, like if he doesn't do I mean, this decision right here is crucial to the rest of the serial. If he doesn't do this, you know, it's hard to it's hard to imagine the 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 doctor defeating the Daleks in the end. Yeah, no, he was right to do it, but it's risky. Mm-hmm. And so, so this, yeah. This is where right. we, uh, get... Steven go and get yeah get on the spaceship and the doctors in disguise go into a galactic meeting. Although we should mention, there's a little moment here that ties us back to the mission of the unknown, right? Isn't this where the doctor oh, yeah. found a little tape? On the on the way to the city, they find uh, the the tape um, mm. that that Casey was was making at the end of Mission to the Unknown. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I do I again. do like. It's nice. It's nice because Mission Known is kind of a throwaway episode, but they still like they keep bringing it back to this one, and it's why Brett was there to begin with, you know. And so it's it is, you know, yeah. I, I like that Mission Unknown has this huge impact on the story. You know, they keep coming back to it. You know, talking about Casey being the reason why Brett Byron was there in the first place. They find the tapes. You know, it, it's you know it's kind of skippable. But at the same time, it does have a huge impact on the on the story. Yeah, I think we kind of compared it to like a webisode pre- uh, prologue. Um, I think it does richen the experience a little bit. Obviously, you didn't have to watch it, but for little moments like this, I think it's totally worth doing the little homework there. So we're at the meeting. This is where uh, this is. I think this is where that conversation about terranium shows up. And uh, I don't know. I don't remember if you put a fine point on it, but um, the Dalek Supreme introduces their ultimate weapon which is this thing called the time destructor i love it and so doctor who just put anything <laughs> after the word time and it's golden <laughs> and the uh, the idea behind it is it can either like reverse time or like speed through time at, like a really destructive rate essentially like burning through millions of years of development and just destroying the planet that that's more or less how the time destructor works yep pretty much yeah, look. So obviously, you take a, take a great power source to power it, and I think this is here where they reveal that, um, you know, yes. Mavichan has a cylinder of terranium. Is that what it's called? 
Yeah, terranium. And apparently they, they had trouble like coming up with a name for this element because they were worried about William Hartnell being able to pronounce it. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> uh, I terranium. It sounds right. Yeah, terranium works. It's, it's a good title. It actually sounds like it could be a real thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, it works. But yeah, and so this is where that's revealed. And then, yes. Uh, and then, of course, what what happens to kind of add chaos to this meeting meeting well what happens is while uh brett steven and um katarina jump on the chet uh, chen's uh, ship in order to you know complete the hijacking zephon wakes up and basically like rings the alarm bells so now everyone in the council knows something's wrong so the whole meeting breaks up the doctor takes this opportunity to steal the terranium and he heads back okay. over to this which is cool. attempts to head back. Yes, this is very, very important. <laughs> and it's kind of what kickstarts the rest of this story. Because uh, now we have this, it's basically a chase story from here on out, which is from more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Look, they did it before and uh, they do it again here and it works just as well, I think. Um, and he's on his way back to the ship. And Zafon tries to, uh, you know, basically restrain you know, He confronts him. Uh, which is it's only serves the purpose to uh, slow the doctor's uh, arrival back to the stolen ship, which puts Brett and Steven and Katarina in kind of a tight spot, right? Because now they have to make a decision. Right. And of course, well, decision is not difficult for Brett, right? No. And he's right. Yeah. <laughs> leave, leave the old man behind, which of course. Um... <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> It's messed yeah. up, but he's right. I mean, yeah, he makes a logical choice, which of course Katarina has this. She's like, "How are we going to get to the what? What she call it again? The um, oh, oh I don't afraid? remember. Not not the promised land, but how are we going to get to? <laughs> I don't remember. I can't remember. But basically, she's like, "How can we get to heaven if we leave the, the god behind? That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, and he's like, but... "Sorry, we got to go, you crazy woman." Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll find I mean, those aren't the words, but that's kind of the tone. <laughs> yeah, I'll find the uh, I'll find the clip and I can put it in right here. And okay, we'll have we'll have them do it for us. But, uh, <laughs> but that gets us to the end of episode two, and uh, we're gonna be in Reconstruction Land again for a little while as we reach episode three, Devil's Planet. Daleks' plans are utterly useless without this. What? What did you find out at the council? They allied themselves. And I will say, this is the first episode. It should mention this is a twelve-part, twelve-part story, but it's not like it's a, it's not like a twelve-part movie. It's definitely is episodic with like little yes. chunks that. And I think that's a good balance. It still feels like a TV show in a great way. And I think this is the first example of that. Um, so th- that cliffhanger gets resolved uh, pretty quickly. It, it, basically, the doctor just gets back in time, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> easy enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's not. It's a cliffhanger for the sake of having a cliffhanger. And it's resolved fairly easily. Right. So the Daleks now have to figure out how they're going to get the terranium back. Um, they they want to just blow the ship up. But they really can't do that. 
No, because then they wouldn't have the trainium anymore. Right. So he decided to employ a randomizer, uh, I guess is the term, which um, the name... The name doesn't indicate what it really does, but all it does is it just um, allows them to like remote control the ship, like and re hijack the hijacked ship from right. where they are, right? Right, and it, and it forces them, you know, and and they um they able to kind of break the contact with the randomizer, but not before it causes them to crash land on a nearby planet. Right, and uh. The, the the unfortunately it's not just any nearby planet it's a prison planet <laughs> uh, the prison planet desperus uh, i'm going to read exactly how it's described here where convicts are simply left without any guards or means of escape or as the british call it australia <laughs> oh bold all those australian viewers are going to turn off the turn off the podcast now <laughs> oh you know what bring it on <laughs> Um, Georgia was also a prison colony. I should. I'm going to point out. What? What? What is? The state of Georgia. Oh. It started out as a as a as a place where they brought prisoners. Um, oh Jesus. Uh, as a colony, yeah. I should know that, but it, uh, that's. <laughs> I lived in Atlanta for a little bit. That's why I know that. Oh, that's right. Of course, of course, of course. We should mention. Um. Uh, there's a little bit of um. As they're crash landing, there's a little bit of a political squabbling between Chen and Zephon who, you know, Zephon, again, it's interesting because they're, Chen's in the wrong. He's lying, but he brings up a good point here. So Zephon basically says, like, we lost the Tyrrhenium. Like, Chen, this is all your fault. Like, you brought in the Daleks and got us into this mess in the first place. And Chen goes, how do I know you weren't behind this? You weren't even at the meeting. Like, where were you? <laughs> right. Well, and of course, like, they're like, he's suspicious of Chen because it's like, those are people from the solar system who stole it. How would we know oh, they're not working right. with uh-huh. you? Right. And then Chen's like, well, you're the one who wasn't at the meeting. You're the one who delayed coming back and let someone use your cloak as a disguise. You know what I mean? So there are definitely lots of, lots of finger pointing. So the Daleks basically have to choose a side and uh, whose side do they choose here? Well, they choose, uh, well, it was pretty clear because Mavic Chen is being built up as this, as a main villain, not main right. villain, but as a big villain. So they, they choose yeah. his side. And also reasonably, because the dogs don't really care either way. And Chen is someone they need to get the training back. So yeah, so, it's so more Ze- of a pragmatic choice. So Zephon tries to leave, and uh, Daleks just uh, they just shoot him on sight. And uh, bye bye Zephon. Let's see. Oh, before they crash land too, they play they do play the tape that Corey made in. Mission to the Unknown. Right. They only bring up because I guess it, it sounded the same to me, but the document, the Josh Nair's documentary points out that it is slightly rewritten from Mission to the Unknown, just slightly, and re-recorded. It's not the actor's voice here, um, which is weird. But maybe they just didn't. Maybe that technology just used on a previous audio clip just wasn't as easy at that time. Maybe it's also possible. Maybe the was it Spooner who wrote this one? Uh, it's possibly yeah, this one's written by Terry Nation. Terry Nation. Maybe he's wanted to punch it up a little known. bit. Yeah, possibly. Um, I don't think you figured that people were going to be like figure out ways to record these and then compare them side by side on something called YouTube one day. <laughs> like I think he just probably was just like, ah, I just want to change a couple words here. Who's going to care? But anyway, probably. yes. That that kind of ties together fully. Mission of the Unknown and the. The guy gives him insight into the plan that uh, 
the Daleks have. Um, even though, again, they kind of already know this, but um, it does finish off the, uh, kind of closes that loop a little bit. So, they are on the planet Desperus. This is where we run into a couple of <laughs> convicts. Let's see, their names are <laughs> Boars, Garge, and then uh, kind of the uh, the runt of the group, Kirkson. <laughs> And of course, you know, I mean, they see an opportunity to leave this hellhole. This what, what what's what's the uh, name of this episode again? Uh, it is called uh, Devil's Planet. Yes. All right. So, but it's desperate. Yes, they see they see this opportunity to leave this Devil's Planet, if you will. Yeah, um, so they, of course they're going to take advantage right of it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, you know, the doctor lays a little trap for him by by putting putting a wire in the swamp they had landed by that would electrocute anyone who got near. That's right. So yeah, it's almost like a home alone trap. So they try to get on and then boars and guards basically get shocked. <laughs> I thought they died here, but it's just unconscious. No, no, no. Remember um, the doctor says he would never kill someone here. Actually. Remember he oh, kind of gets right. uh-huh. indignant tone with Brett about it, which is interesting in part because you could argue if the doctor hadn't been more lethal here, maybe Katarina wouldn't have died. You're right. Uh, and I wish they had maybe made a bigger point out of it. Maybe they didn't need to. Maybe it's okay they kind of left it up for you know the audience to kind of put together. But you're right. That kind of policy of, like, I don't kill kind of ends up with him being indirectly responsible for a death. Interesting stuff. <laughs> Of course, all you had to do was also close the door, but that's a different issue. Oh, I know. Well, that kind of well, that kind of gets us to the end of this episode here. Well, that went right. by fast. Well, um, it's in part. They, I mean, they spend you know they spend time listening to the message, and they spend time. We spend more time with these convicts. Like Terry Nations does, like to kind of give brief character sketches for these one episode characters he he brings in, even if they're not great character sketches. I mean, they're kind of cliched characters. But he does at least spend spend the time, like, you know, giving them some personality, which I think is a, a pro in his writing style. Yeah, exactly. So let's see. So the ship gets fixed. They take off. Um, they uh, in advance of the the Dalek ship that was in pursuit. Um, they just miss them, and this is where they realize, yeah, the Doctor hasn't closed the airlock, and he sends. Katarina to do so. And as you mentioned, we shocked unconscious two of the convicts. There were three. And where's the, where's the third one end up being? In the airlock, of course. Man. And we do have footage of this, right? Is this the scene that we... Or is that the beginning? No, no, that's that's um, next episode. Uh, okay, well, let us tarry no further. That's the cliffhanger of episode three. And he locks Katarina in with him, yeah. And then he's like, let, let me in or, or drop me off somewhere or I'm going to kill her, right? Yeah, that's the long and the short of it here. Uh, a harrowing cliffhanger, by the way. Like, that's... That's intense. It's intense. But of course, I mean, you know, as a viewer, I'm like, oh, Katarina's not going to die. Like, we see these cliffhangers all the time where, oh, no, is the main character going to die? No. But this is like the one instance where the answer is actually yes. Yeah. The, we, we, let's just get right into it. Top of episode yeah. four, entitled The, the Traitors. <laughs> And you will go out 
This is uh this is this is where uh, Katarina kind of meets her fate. Um, they want to. I feel like it, it's like about ten minutes in the episode where it actually happens, right? They they do build it up a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't happen right away. Um, he wants to the, the nearest planet is a planet called Kemble. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. He wants to go to Kemble, and they're like, "Hell no!" <laughs> yeah, are you kidding me? That's where the Daleks <laughs> are, and Kirkson doesn't care. So they kind of pretend to acquiesce, but um, should we just should we stick with um, uh, the Doctor and Co on the spar for a little bit before we go back to Kemble? No, no, no. Uh, well, maybe let's go to Katarina's death and then go back to Kemble. Yeah, um, let's do that. So they're pre- they they kind of pretend to go along with this, um, you know, basically this you know this hostage demand. Um, but they're really they're just trying to readjust the. Uh, controls and this is where Brett does a basically a maneuver that knocks Katarina and Kirkson further into the airlock right yeah I believe so and it's not clear to me here because again this is um it's well, missing that, yeah it is presented in the behind the scenes stuff as an accidental this next part is accidental. It read to me as an intentional sacrifice. Okay. It read to me as an intentional sacrifice as well. Um, it's, it's interesting that that's where they landed on the, but it, of, yeah, but she essentially reaches for the, uh, and, and so this is the part that we do have, right. And I actually think it's a really well directed and acted scene. Yes. Mostly, mostly by, you know, Peter Purvis, like frantically like yelling at her not to like, not to pull that touch that button or pull that lever or whatever it is she did. Yeah. Well, again, cause you're, it's one of those things where you, you kind of can't cause you don't, you're like, they're not going to do, they're not going to. And then it does happen. Uh, she opens up the airlock sucking both her and Kirkson out into the, uh, the vastness of space. And uh, that's a series wrap on Katarina just as quickly as she's, she yeah. appeared. She's gone. Yeah. And, so uh, yeah, I guess I guess we should be a little more clear about how. Yeah. So she like starts reaching for this lever, and like Stephen's like, "No, don't pull that lever. What are you doing? Don't pull that lever." And like, "No, no, no." And then she reaches, does it anyways, and sucks them both out into space. And everyone is just like shocked at it. It's somber, and I actually think the scene after this is even more kind of uh, uh, effective because again, there is a kind of this, like this quiet dignity and silence. <laughs> as the doctor kind of gives one of his patented, you know, amazing speeches. Um, <laughs> and it is, that, I think this one, I think it gets kind of forgotten because, sure. missing. but it is, it is a wonderful little speech and adds some poignancy because you're right. We don't really get to know Katarina that well to where we can be as affected by her death as we would have been with maybe a Vicky or something like that. But, um, you know, I do, I do think that the speech is, is great and, and really adds to the scene. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll drop it in right here so people can hear it for themselves. She didn't understand. She couldn't understand. She wanted to save our lives. And perhaps the lives of all the other beings of the solar system. I hope she's found her perfection. Oh, well, I shall always remember her. 
It's one of the daughters of the gods. Yes. It's one of the daughters of the gods. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, a nice little moment. And I do think it probably gets swallowed up by the bigger events of this series as a whole. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. we don't actually have the footage, so that affects it a little bit. But, yeah, that's it. I, again, I'm glad you also read that as intentional. I guess you could read it as she doesn't – they do establish yeah, it, that it, she it, doesn't really know how to work anything. So it's That's probably, true. So, so she could have just been panicking, like, trying to push a button, which maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, which – and I think both are kind of interesting. Yeah, um, think, you know, it, yeah. her just panicking and not knowing what was going on and accidentally leading to her death is is really sad, you know, because you have this person who just shouldn't have even been on a TARDIS in the first place. She was just helping Stephen out and the doctor had to take out in a rush. And so her ignorance just leading to her own death and even her, her ignorance, like with knowing how to deal with an airlock also led to her death, right? And so I I think her her arc is more of a, a failure of the doctor's responsibility. And here we kind of set up, you know, the doctor doesn't always win, right? No. Yeah. He has to kind of take an L on this one and a pretty significant one. Yeah. There is sort of a kind of a Katarina's last couple of days of life is a kind of a beautiful tragedy in a way. <laughs> like It is. It absolutely is. And I think it's, Knowing it's going to happen helps you see it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, you can kind of see the seeds that were being planted, even from her, her first episode in the Mythmakers, if you know it's coming. Well, and as mentioned in some of the behind the scenes stuff, this is the first scene she ever shot for the show. Like she did right. this before she even did her scene well, uh, I'll, I'll for the Mythmakers. The, the scene that was shot was her floating in space because what happens is. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so, weird. <laughs> What, what they do some pre-filming um, for stuff that's has that's more difficult to shoot that you can't that takes has some effects to it that you can't just like do live like they do with the most of it right and so what they did is they had her jumping up and down on a trampoline and like they had like it, that in slow motion was her floating in space like her jumping up and down on a trampoline and that was the first thing she ever filmed was the trampoline shot even before the Myth Makers. I guess think it's a clever effect, and it's an effect. Well, we didn't really get we'll, to we'll see it. Back. Yeah, yeah. But um, they do use it again in an episode. That I think we're gonna be talking about here in a, in a yes. minute. Next um, episode, actually. Oh, perfect. We we do get to see it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that's again series wrap on uh, Katarina and, and Kirkson, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do get a re- recreation of them floating in space, and it's it's. It's weird in a good way because it is a reconstruction of a special mm-hmm. effect, and um, it's just it's dark, very dark. It's dark and bleak, absolutely. And it's another situation where I think the music, being very understated, works for it. You know, I think yes. if the music had been really dramatic, it would have cut some of the tension, oddly enough. But the music being kind of eerie and you know somber and quiet really added to the emotion of it and the shock of it. It is a really yeah. shocking death. For a character that probably didn't get her due, they really do. She does get a good. She gets a good goodbye. <laughs> it's it's, you know, it's good Absolutely. stuff for everyone involved. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get back. Let's get back to Kemble for a second. Just check in on the Daleks and Chen and all them. Um, basically, they're the pursuit fleet 
you know, they kind of landed really hard in the last episode. They've repaired their ship now, and they're reporting back to the Dalek City. And uh, the Daleks basically figure out, as far as heading for Earth, Chen can intercept it there and then take them back to Kemble. And um, in a stone-cold gangster move, the Dalek Supreme says, oh, yeah, and also uh, kill the Pursuit Fleet because they screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> Look, and, that, you know, and that's something that's good, I think. You know, they're they're kind of keeping with the Dalek menace, you know. And I think, you know, that's something I think Terry Nations, as a as a as a writer, was always really careful about. You know, even with the chase, which is a little more of a comedic serial, he never wanted the Daleks to be reduced to comedy. Not reduced, but um, they can't just they can't be silly. Even if yeah, silly they're happening around them, they're not the ones doing the comedy. Exactly, and he always wanted them to be threatening. And serious, and so I think, you know, that instinct of his is correct, and that's another example of it. Yeah, and before we leave Kemble, um, there's a new kind of player in this uh, kind of chess game everyone's playing for. Uh, it's, it's kind of an attempt at a power grab. Um, another alliance member, Trantis, basically appeals himself to the Daleks and says, "You sh- you put way too much trust in Chen, and uh, that's going to be a mistake." The Daleks kind of. You know, they insist. They know what they're doing. We'll just put a pin in that for a little while. Should we stick with Chen and all them and get to the introduction of our next big character? Do we want to meet back up with the Doctor? Um, well, this episode, the the two storylines kind of com- converge at the end. So I feel like we can should kind of bounce back and forth. Got it. Okay, we'll go back to the spar here. So they have to land it on um, Kemble, the... Um, they just got to figure out where they're going to put it without drawing too much attention. Uh, so they find you know, Brett's aware of this um, experimental station, and that's going to become important next episode. Just outside Central City, they, they should be able to hide themselves pretty well there. And he's going to contact. And he knows some people. Yeah, he knows some people there. Yes, um, they're going to contact a guy named Daxstar, as a, not Dexter, Daxstar. <laughs> So <laughs> that's the sort, and they're gonna go, and he he should be someone who can help them out. Um, and the, as they leave the ship and go into this experimental station, uh, unbeknownst to them, there's a, a mysterious woman who's been spying on them, and uh, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> I'll tell you. We'll tell you uh, immediately here. <laughs> That's basically how it goes. We see this um, we see this kind of mysterious woman in the background, and then the next kind of batch of scenes, Chen kind of explains what his plan is here to kind of regain, you know, get mm-hmm. the terrarium back, right? Right, exactly. And re- refresh my memory: Did he know they landed on this station, or is it just kind of a his that was his best guess? I think I want to say it's a best guess. Okay, I could be wrong, and um. It wouldn't be the first time. But basically, uh, Lazan, who's one of um, Chen's security teams, identifies these... Uh, basically, Brett and uh, Kurt... Kurt's no longer with us. Brett is. They're basically marked as traitors for stealing the, the Tranium. And right. uh, they're now going to get killed on site by uh, the security team. Uh, and this is where we get introduced to Sarah Kingdom, who will become very important for the rest of this story. 
Yeah, she's she's definitely a major player, and so it is kind of interesting she gets introduced four episodes in. And of course, I guess that's an advantage you have when it's twelve episodes. But yeah, it was it was kind of surprising to see such a major player have such a late introduction. Yeah, it was kind of surprising, uh, but it was a, a delightful surprise. Um, she she's a, she identified to us as the one who was spying on um, our companions and the doctor. So she reports back like, "Hey, Brett's with these two guys that we don't know." So it's like, "Okay, go over there, kill them." get my terranium back um and there is some concern between ten and uh, basically his main security guard whose name is carlton not not fresh <laughs> prince don't get don't 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 get silly this is carlton with a k um yes that's not silly he, he, what's that yeah carlton with a k that's not silly no, it's very, it's very serious stuff. He's aware that there's a basically a vie for uh, a power grab by Trantis, and he's like, if this doesn't go well, he may have a way to use, he may have an end to usurp me here. So this has to go perfectly. There's a lot of stakes here, even for the bad guy, and that's usually the sign of a good story. So, kind of winding down to the end of this episode here. Um, they're waiting for this mysterious Dax star. And we kind of get a classic. Uh, we kind of kind of get a classic scenario. We're talking about like kind of leaning on uh, cliches. But I think this is another. You know, you kind of know where it's going, but um, I think it always works. Daxstar shows up, and they kind of unload their soul to him. Let's see. How do I want to break? How do I want to present this? Um, basically, I set this up. This is essentially one of those things where, like, Daxstar kind of, like, says too much and kind of gives away more information than he was given, which is how right. I know that he's in the pockets well, but, of the, the Daleks and Chen. The Doctor and Steven were skeptical of him to begin with, whereas Vion was pretty trusting of him. And, you know, the Doctor catches on pretty quickly that he he's working, he's in league with Chen. He mentions Terranium by name, and the Doctor's like, I never told you it was called Terranium. right. Kind of feeds into that no one knows who to trust, both on the on the side of the good good guys and the bad guys. This kind of paranoia kind of permeating throughout this first half of the series and even further in. But that yeah, again, kind of a cliche, but uh it, it was a welcome one. I think it works. Uh what's important here is that Brett kills Daxstar, which pisses the doctor off and had, kind of ties back to the last episode where he's like I don't kill people. And here he's like, Daxter could have told us a whole bunch of stuff if we had just yeah, kept I mean, him alive. He had a pragmatic reason to want him alive and a humanist reason to want him alive as well. Yeah. And I think, and you know what? He's right. Brett is, uh, I think Brett overstepped here. I got, I got understand it. It was his friend that betrayed him, but uh, I think he can, I think Brett messed up here. He didn't want him. He's immediately punished for it as well. Um, uh, yes, he is. So yeah, the Doctor and Steven run away uh, after you know Daxstar is killed. When Sarah Kingdom comes in mm-hmm. to try to apprehend Brett, absolutely. And uh, what's Brett's ultimate fate here? Well, he tries to reason with her, and it seems like he also still had a gun in his hand. So Kingdom shoots him down and kills him. A series wrap on Brett. Yeah, series wrap on Brett. Um, but I do think it speaks to Nicholas Courtney's performance that he's such a memorable character here. Obviously, he's a big part of the first four episodes, but 
Um, yeah. Do you consider him a companion? You know, that one's a little little trickier, only because he 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 was in the TARDIS with the Doctor. But I think it takes a little bit more to be the, a companion than just being in the TARDIS with the Doctor. You know, he was he was helping him fight the Daleks, but I don't think I don't consider him a companion personally. Do you? It's tough. Maybe by the strictest technical definition, uh, he is. But I think. Sarah gets more significant time with Steven and the doctor and there's room for like these other kind of side adventures that these kind of easily leaves room for this kind of expanded universe thing. So I'm more comfortable. I mean, we established, we both agree with Sarah. I'm not so sure about Brett. Uh, I'm kind of, I think I'm on your side. It feels like it falls short of an undefined criteria I have in my head. Although from a strict, <laughs> from a strict definition, I mean, you could definitely make the get, argument. Yeah, we get as much of him as we do of Katarina, you know? like True. Katarina gets a pass because she's in two stories, even though she's barely in both of them. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Katarina also gets a pass because we want to be able to say she's the first companion death, right? Yeah. Then, so uh, perhaps this is the second. Um, I think I think we as a, as a duo are not as convinced mm-hmm. on that one. So, yeah, so I guess maybe not a companion. That's our final verdict. Right. Anyway, but something I do think is is kind of interesting about Vion is we kind of talk about the cliches that have been present in this story. And when you have a story this big, it's sometimes hard to avoid cliches. So I'm not necessarily being super critical, but I do think Brett Vion is a little bit of a subversion of a typical cliche. Interesting. Yeah. You know, you meet him. He is hero man, right? You meet him. He's with his friend. He doesn't want to leave his friend behind, but the mission is super important. You know, and he is definitely like the shoot first, ask question later's archetypal hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes to really hurt him in the end, right? I mean, he kills Daxstar when he they could have gotten information from him, which also leaves him behind to, to be shot by. And he also gets punished for it, right? Uh, narratively, yeah. he gets killed by Sarah, who turns out to be his sister. Um, That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and even even throughout this, I mean, he's he's portrayed as a likable character right um right but i i would i would argue his character is kind of a subversion of the you know secret agent hero man type uh character yeah. i think you're onto something there i think you're right <laughs> so, an interesting a brief tenure but a interesting one that leaves a mark for sure that gets us to episode five i mean the, the cliffhangers basically like sarah's like go you know partner who, whose name is apparently Borkar. I don't think you need to hold on to that. Basically <laughs> says, follow them and like aim, shoot to kill. Yes. That's the end of episode four. And, we have and episode thankfully five. episode five exists because the special yes. effects here would not, we had no idea what it looked like if it weren't, if it had been missing still. Yep, absolutely. And in fact, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a showcase scene. Uh, for this episode and it's, it's very fortunate we have the visuals episode five counterplot i'll give you five seconds to hand over that terrain let me speak the terrarium. Uh, as mentioned, this was an experimental station. It turns out the experiment in question is an experiment in molecular dissemination, <laughs> which is 
well, we all know what that is. No need to explain that. Um, <laughs> the doctor and Steven basically take refuge in this room where this experiment's taking place. Uh, Sarah follows in pursuit, gets into the room. As it happens, that's right when the experiment basically like completes itself. It reaches its like. Look- I love the 60s um, because, you know, you didn't have the same kind of like safety regulations we do now. And so they could definitely envision a future <laughs> where you would have this super dangerous experiment going on and no lock on the door. <laughs> they were so trusting. They, you know, like, <laughs> and no fine. way to stop it. No fail safe either. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, um, they get molecularly disseminated and. This is uh, another scene. It's not really described here on the wiki, but it's very, uh, it's very similar to that. It was exactly the same. Uh, you know, Stephen, Sarah, and the doctor are on. You know, I don't, I don't think they made William Hartnell get on a trampoline. I don't they think. did not. They not. But Peter Purvis and Gene Marsh were on the trampoline, and they like did you know inverted the color composition, and you know they have them like kind of going slow motion up and down with kind of chippy colors going on and basically what's going on is this is the transporter from star trek right i mean there's basically being transported across the galaxy of course this predates star trek yes it does um, but not by a lot but still you know star trek you know who was a fan of this i mean not who but like what team uh was a fan of this uh special effect did you see this on this on the special yeah stanley kubrick yeah the 2001 um, production team were like, how, how called them up and said, like, how did you do that? Which, which, is, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, it's like the most like technically like superb movie of the 60s. We're like blown away by this kind of minimalist, you know, UK TV show. I, I, it's, I find that very, very charming. I think, I think it goes to show the, the cultural relevance the show had at the time that even Absolutely. like... The, people working on you know a stanley cooper production were paying attention to it yeah that, that stood out to me it's like wow this show has become kind of a big deal and it's barely even gotten started relative to the rest of its history uh so they end up on this planet named it's mira isn't it i don't remember i think i believe it's I'm, mira. i was not really good at keeping track of like planet names when i was watching yeah. these kind of sci-fi shows um yeah, i'm with you uh, we should go back to uh, Carlton real quick, who was, you know, he's, he's annoyed because his whole plan was to you know, get the terranium this way through Sarah accosting and capturing the Doctor and Stephen. So Carlton, this is where he gets the idea. He's like, I think there's a way for us to spin this. Yeah, because Chen is, Chen is rightfully freaking out. Yeah. You know, he's he's like, like, I'm screwed. The Daleks wanted me to get this thing, and now it's gone. Now it's... I, it's on a completely different planet. We don't even know if it still exists anymore. Um, what are we going to do? And yeah, what's his, what's his lieutenant's plan? Why don't you say that you you had them disseminated along with the training to Mira, since it's closer to Kemble, which is going to make this a lot easier for you guys, you guys being the Daleks. And I'm actually a genius. This is all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. This way you can keep it a secret mm-hmm. and make them easier to... Uh, to apprehend and get the terranium, yeah. Which you know what? Ken, it's, Ken it sounds it. crazy, it's not, but it's a great idea. Yeah, it works. I mean, <laughs> we'll talk about how, how much the Daleks believe it when we get there. But yeah, it, <laughs> it's better than saying, well, shit, they just slipped on my finger. Um, That's right. 
And there's this scene after like Chen leaves where what's the guy's name again? Um, uh, Carlton. Carlton. He he, uh. he kind of like muses like kind of like foreshadowing him betraying Chen, which never really pays off. It doesn't quite. But it struck out to me. Maybe it just it's just going with that theme of like. You can't like these people are duplicitous. You can't trust any of them. Like they're all like scheming against each other, um, and even on every level, like Chen can literally trust nobody. Right. The thought occurred to me, you know, later on. Then we'll probably bring this up again next week. But like, the thought occurred to me, like this, all this scheming amongst the villains. It's possible the story could resolve itself without the Doctor and the companions having to do anything. Like it's possible they all just take each other out. Potentially, but it would have been, been after a lot of carnage. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that could have been really destructive. <laughs> just yes. kind of shows how uh, serious the situation really is. So on Mira, Sarah's basically in this position where she has to kind of reluctantly become part of this team. Um, it's very reluctant. She basically only does it because Steven takes her gun. <laughs> she's she's still kind of under the not spell, but kind of under this cult of Chen. Like Chen wouldn't, you know, Chen wouldn't lead me astray. Like he's a I wouldn't say honest man, but he's a you know he's a good leader, and I follow him. Like I right. can't work against him. So yeah, and uh, this is where it's revealed that uh, Brett was her brother, which is again a dark moment. She has to kill her own brother in pursuit of you know in yeah. the leadership and, of this a hole. <laughs> like, and and I I honestly feel like this aspect of it is kind of underserved. I agree. Uh, and I feel this... like I feel like something that this is this is one criticism I do have. I feel like like when we first meet Sarah Kingdom maybe better dialogue than this, but you could have had a, you know, when we're first meeting her and Chen's like briefing her, he's been like, listen, I know Brett's your brother, but it's really important. We don't let the, these traitors go free or something like that. Right. I agree. It shouldn't have been like a ret. It almost, I know they worked on all of these at the same time. So it wasn't like a retcon, but I feel like you lose some of the power by uh, revealing it after the fact. And I feel like this is part of like when we talk about how the, how chaotic this was, how about how Terry Nation scripts weren't long enough. Um, this is this is probably a consequence of that. You know, this, it's, it's remarkable sure. how well this serial works with all that chaos. But I do think um, that that's why we got it kind of like this. And I think this uh, the whole thing about her killing her brother is there for drama and also to kind of justify her softening stance towards Chen and the doctor and Steven. Um, yeah. It's a good turning it, point for her to kind of go on the side of the good. It is. But at the same time, like they should have built it up a little bit more and then they also don't really bring it up again. I will say um, in the Sarah kingdom stories I've listened to in the extended universe, it is something they do kind of explore her guilt over killing her brother. I have to check some um, of those out. They sound pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I think they are, and they're intentionally designed to where you can listen to them without any spoilers beyond the Dalek Master Plan. And oh, excellent! Yeah, so you le- you legitimately could go and listen to some of them. I don't know. Um, the, the problem is how because uh, they're they're not really readily available on. They're not like there's some Doctor Who's stuff on spotify but it might be on audible maybe i'm not sure 
Okay. Yeah, tracking them down can be difficult. So yeah, if you can there, I, I liked them. Yeah, excellent. All right, let's see. So on Mira, is this where we get introduced to these uh, invisible creatures? The, 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 the invisible creatures, yes. Which is, uh, you know, it sounds like a... It sounds on paper like a cop-out kind of special effect or creatures <laughs> you don't have to see. But yeah. this was a lot of work on their end, actually. It was, it was, it was. Because um, yeah, they have to kind of show, like, they mess with, like, Sarah's hair, and they have to kind of show that, like, on wires and stuff, and they have, like, these little footprints that appear. They actually cause more work for them than, uh, than maybe one would expect. Right. And this was but, the idea um, that um, Terry Nation was going to put in the chase but didn't have time for it. And so you know, that idea was kind of left over and he put it, he put it in this one. Um, but yeah. And you know, it works better than you think it would because it does feel like they are just trying to skimp on special effects. Yeah, no. Uh, so uh, they are invisible, but they are also eight feet in height. The doctor kind of figures out. Um, as it happens, they're surrounded by them as well. Uh, Steve and Sarah and the doctor, like this is like their land. <laughs> Uh, the Daleks salvage team has arrived and they're on the on the hunt. They've arrived to Mira, that is. We'll put a pin on that for a second. We're gonna go back to Earth. Where uh let's see here. Oh yeah, Chen kind of reveals to Carlton like his real his master plan, which is essentially if I have this right, uh once the uh Teraniums return to him, he's gonna destroy Kemble and create and kind of create, you know, create his own army in this image, and then he'll be the ruler of the galaxy. This is a power grab yeah. for Ten as well, right? Yes. And then, oh, here's the scene I was talking about earlier with Carlton. When after he reveals it to Carlton, Carlton kind of like hints that he has his own master plan. Yes, that's right. It's funny because Carlton almost seems uh, uh, disappointed by the lack of scope in this plan, which is <laughs> funny because it's, it's the whole galaxy. Yeah. Basically, like, we're just starting there. Something that's interesting about this is every villain is a narcissist who's scheming against every other villain in this. And this is the last we see of Carlton. So, I mean, it kind of hints at this, like, big thing that they don't follow up with. And I, I honestly think it's just the point of that is just to kind of feed into the paranoia and uh, danger of all the villains scheming against each other, right? It's just another layer to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's all this political intrigue that this could have really fallen flat, but I think, again, they kind of find the drama and the conflict in all of it. And so you're just kind of like, it's almost like two stories. You want the doctor to succeed, but you're also like, I'm wondering, like, I really want Chen to get his comeuppance here. This would be really nice. <laughs> so uh, we're nearing the end of episode five. Uh, essentially, the Daleks catch up to uh, the doctor and his companions. And also surround, uh, surround them much like the visions have surrounded them. That kind of leads to like this nice kind of. It felt iconic to me, kind of cliffhanger line for the Doctor. Where he says, uh, uh, "Basically, like my friends, the Daleks have won." I'm afraid, my friends, the Daleks have won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, apparently, because this was written by Terry Nation. Next episode was written by Dennis Spooner. The episode after that is written by Terry Nation. And so I guess the two are having fun trying to come up with like a big cliff, impossible cliffhanger that the other one had to work out. To, to some diminishing returns, as it yeah. turns out, <laughs> on a couple of them. But, uh, uh, this yeah. one is, 
this one I think is handled very well as we move into the sixth episode and our final episode for this week. Uh, the interestingly titled Coronas of the Sun. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck. Look, Doctor, it's just like the real terrarium. Oh, isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. Stephen's theory has proved successful. Fuck. Like, I don't get it either. <laughs> like, I can't wait I, for You know what I really think it is? Up. They're having trouble. They're having trouble coming up with individual episode titles at this point. Sure. And they are kind of meaningless at yes. the end of the day. And I will we refer to them as episode five, six, whatever, anyway. So. Pretty, pretty soon, this stops. It's going to be, you know, the Dog's Master Plan Part 1, the Dog's Master Plan Part 2. Obviously not for this one, but future serials, right? Like right. The, the Highlanders Part 1, the Highlanders Part 2. So we're, we're actually getting towards the, towards the end of every episode having an individual title. I mean, it is kind of wasted calories. Like, that's time they could be spending yeah. doing other things, coming yes. up with titles. For sure. I mean, we've already heard them, like, having titles rejected by the BBC, right? <laughs> right. So it is legitimately a waste of time. I think they realize that. And we're over 100. <clears throat> this serial, I forgot which one. We're talking about 100 episodes. That's right. Mm-hmm. They're coming up on it if they haven't reached it already. Um, right. And so uh, given that, you know, and that's, you know, Obviously, a lot of shows have more than 100 episodes, but when it's serialized like this, and you need to find not only an episode to describe the whole thing, but an episode to describe each part of the thing, I think that can get a bit challenging. Agreed. Well, that's how you end up with titles like Coronas of the Sun. Yes. Uh, we're, not so yeah. quite, we're not quite done with them yet after this one. There's still a couple more serials where they had to, all the episodes have their own title. Nice. Okay. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that, and uh, we'll see what <laughs> see when that ends. Hopefully, it's soon. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the, the uh, cliffhanger gets resolved, um, and in a way that actually kind of makes sense. Turns out the vision, the Visions attack the Daleks because you know they are eight feet tall and they are being intruded upon by hostile forces. So they defend their land, and that allows the Doctor and Stephen and um, Sarah to escape. And uh, unfortunately, the visions do pay a price. They they basically get wiped out by the Daleks here, um, which is a shame. Um, so now the Doctor and the, his companions have to figure out how they're going to get out of here. Um, well, they, they do the logical thing. They steal the ship, right? Yeah, they yeah, steal they the Dalek ship. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they take the only <laughs> ship that's on the planet. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, um, it makes perfect sense. And then. Yeah, go yeah, go for it. Well, and then here we get another pretty crucial thing. They're piling the Dalek ship, and the doctor is like, "We need to make a copy, a fake, of the Tranium." Yep. And you know that's what they spend their time trying to trying to figure out. And you know they get it to where it looks right, but it, they need the fake to be charged to where it'll, it'll at least um, be a good fake to where the the Daleks might actually think it is a Tranium when they when they when they meet because they know they can't keep outrunning the daleks forever and they know they you know the doctor has a plan and i love how <laughs> it's interesting the doctor i think because he's this hero but he's incredibly dishonest oh absolutely i mean this, this, he's he's scheming from the start to completely lie and betray the daleks here um and it's not to say he's not an unprincipled character, because he is a very principled character, but he has no issues just utterly lying and breaking his word to people. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that that kind of comes into play here. And it's it's, it's a it's a risky move, or basically, um, kind of this whole episode kind of barrels towards a uh, kind of a you throw me the idol, I'll throw you the whip kind of kind of scenario because this is all going to lead to like a a trade off for this fake geranium. But uh, it's a risky move. It's kind of the only one that they really have to play, especially since, as it turns out, I don't know, Daleks are pretty pissed at uh, Chen. Um, <laughs> this is kind of resolving your question from last episode. We'll see how the Daleks feel about this. Oh, this is all totally part of the plan. Uh, they remain pretty unimpressed. And but, skeptical, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let's grew up and called them. a plan. Like, come on. Yeah. They don't quite buy it. Yeah, as well they shouldn't because uh, he is lying. But they, <laughs> they basically have a way to like use magnets to like bring the Dalek ship back to Kemble. So they're basically well, which, like, which the Doctor kind of counted on, right? I mean, he yeah. knew he wasn't going to be able to keep outrunning the Daleks forever. That's why he decided to make this fake. But they're right, having a problem charging it. Right, and this is where Stephen kind. Yeah, this is where Sarah kind of gets to develop a little bit of a repartee because Steven's like, let's use the gravity force. And uh, Sarah's like, this is such a, you don't know what you're talking about, Steven. Like that's so, that's so outdated, right? Yeah, exactly. I love it. Fair Nation like, just Steven makes just up a word, the gravity force. Uh, <laughs> right. We, we never heard it since. I don't, we never heard it before this. I don't think we ever hear it again after this. <laughs> <laughs> It's this dangerous, unstable force that people used to use to pilot ships that they don't use anymore. But because this is like a thousand years from Stephen's time, you know, Sarah right. gets to kind of like roll her eyes at him. But this also shows, you've mentioned before, Stephen's kind of headstrong nature because he just kind of barrels ahead and uh, yeah. uses the gravity force anyway. And what does that right. get him? Knock the fuck out. <laughs> uh um, but he's vindicated because it works. It works, but he also gets kind of talking to because it almost killed him and almost didn't work. Right. So that's kind of how they justify never doing it again. I think. I think it's probably a good. That's a good mechanism because they just use it every time. Right. So they land on Kemble, and uh, the doctor gives Stephen the the fake terranium, and he gives pretty specific instructions to. Uh, Oh, this is no, this is important. Uh, Steven has this kind of like force field around him now because of like this um ex- this gravity force experience. That's right. That's, really that's right. Yes. So he gives Steven the tranium and he gives specific instructions like Sarah, you're gonna stand behind Steven and I'm gonna do all the talking here. I think he I guess because he uh very smartly assumes there's gonna be a double cross coming because we're dealing with the the Daleks. Right. So they show up. Um, they, you know they land on. They get pulled back to um, Kemble. The doctor kind of tries to establish terms. But he's like, I will get back to you at the doors of my ship. So the Daleks, you know, they're not convinced, but Chen has no choice but to kind of keep going forward here to kind of like the illusion of power and control that he has. So they go back to the TARDIS. Chen really should have seen something coming here, like in my opinion. I, I, <laughs> so, I hear what you're saying, but I think he was so desperate for a win. Yeah. Mostly, I think the Daleks should have seen something coming, but maybe they just never occurred to them they'd be uh, able to make such a copy of it. Yeah, I don't think that they I don't think that they think that way. I mean, they were only able to do it, you know, through kind of some sheer luck and uh, some really fortunate knowledge on 
this group's part. So, I mean, it wouldn't maybe not have occurred to them, as you say. And they did so. briefly test it, you know, and had a charge. So, you know, it kind of, yep. they, they did a good enough job to make it look convincing. Absolutely. So they led to the TARDIS. They uh, exchange, as you say, they test it. It's exchanged. Stephen gives them the, uh, the Terranium. And as you might expect, the Daleks try to shoot him <laughs> and wipe him out. But because he has that force field, he's good. They hop back in the TARDIS. It kind of seems like Chen has gotten what they wanted. It's kind of, this really does feel like a act one finale, which is kind of yes. a nice breaking point for us because it's like everything's kind of wrapped up, but the story isn't done. So Chen kind of has his win. Our friends are back in the TARDIS, but there's all, all this like intrigue between the Daleks and Chen. There's, there's still trouble brewing between them. Right. And uh, let's see, how does this episode end? Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, this is, oh, <laughs> that's right. They kind of hand wave again, because it's kind of the same thing about, uh, why don't they just use the power source of the sh uh, ship? Stephen's like, hey, this force field, this is a great way to make us basically invincible forever. The doctor's like, it's way too dangerous. So that, that kind of wipes off that. <laughs> that is a power, as a plot point from here on out. And I'm trying to figure out, because there's a funny story about this cliffhanger in particular, but I don't know if maybe we should resolve it at the top of next episode. That, that, yeah, this will be a cliffhanger for our our uh, <laughs> our okay. podcast, too. I love it. Okay, so do you want to explain how this episode ends and then we can wrap it up? <laughs> well, um, let me see. Yeah, it's kind of... It's word specific is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, the TARDIS is, has left, right? Yeah. And, you know, they land somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, the doctor, you know, the visualizer is broken, but he looks at his gauges and it turns out the air outside is completely poisonous. Oh, man. Don't dare touch that. Why not? But just look at those dials. Look. Look here, Sarah. You see those dials? Now, do you know what that means? If either of you went outside, it would be extremely dangerous. The whole atmosphere is entirely poisonous. How how will they resolve this? How will they be able to get out of the TARDIS when the air outside is completely poisonous? Well, I don't Stay know. Next week. I don't know. Well, yeah, uh, we're going to have to leave that uh, for next week, quite literally for you guys as well, because that gets us to the halfway point of the Daleks Master Plan. Well, this should mention Coronas of the Sun aired December 18th, 1965. Hmm. I just wonder what that means for next <laughs> week. <laughs> so uh, there's something I did want to mention to you at this yeah. point as well. Uh, beginning on December 21st in 1965, is we had our first Doctor Who stage play. What? I didn't know this. Yes. And it's significant because it doesn't feature the Doctor at all. It's all about the Daleks. The stage play is called Curse of the Daleks. What? Written, written by Terry Nation and David Whitaker. Uh -huh. um, and of course, Terry Nation we're talking about. All, uh, all podcasts. David Whitaker is also another name. Hopefully listeners recognize. He was the original script editor for the show. He's written several serials, including... Um, you know, Edge of Destruction, The Rescue, The Crusades. Uh, and so he's, you know, he's a pretty big 
person in Doctor Who. And we're not also not done with David Whitaker. He's going to be writing some more episodes for us. But yeah, and so it was written by the two of them, mostly by David Whitaker. And yeah, it's a stage play that, you know, in Hide of Mania, they're trying to like cash in as much as they can. And they um they have a have a stage play called The Curse of the Daleks. And it's kind of along the same lines as Terry Nation's proposed spinoff. But I definitely thought that was a, a piece of history worth mentioning. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I had no idea. Yeah. And nice. so, you know, from here, I, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about Terry Nations because we're not done with him yet, but we're done with him for now, right? He, he takes a break from the show to write, you know, he creates a show called The Baron. It was based off a novel. And then he goes and writes for other shows like The Avengers and The Saint and other kind of iconic British action spy sci-fi shows before right. coming back to Doctor Who in the 70s. But he does, you know, starting now, try to get a Dalek spinoff going. And the Dalek spinoff would have been starring Sarah Kingdom. Oh my God. Yeah, that was the plan. Now he writes a script for it. It never gets filmed. I don't even think it got to the point where they asked Jean Marsh if she'd even come back. My guess is she would have said no. But the goal is that it would have been in America and Britain. So they, BBC had contacted ABC uh, to to co-sponsor this this um show it would have been in color and higher production values the bbc was kind of iffy about um about the cost of it but they would also the cost of abc and abc was interested for a while until and um you know of course something we're gonna be watching later this this season is the peter second peter cushing movie Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the disappointing box office returns to that kind of squelched ABC's interest in it. Everything kind of gets tied together, doesn't it? Yeah. And so, um, you know, it obviously would have taken place prior to uh, the Dalit's master plan. Um, if you're interested, sure. the script does exist. And Big Finish, who does all the different audio plays for Doctor Who, did do a recording of the pilot, which, you know, is... It's good that it exists. I've never listened to it. Obviously, it, it'll still fall short of it actually being a TV show that aired. You know, who knows how good the show could have been. Um, but, you know, Sarah King was a really strong character. It would have been really interesting to to kind of see this spinoff happen. But it just doesn't. That's a shame. Yeah, maybe we can put a link to, like, the script or something or the... Uh... Yeah, you know, pointing people towards the audio uh, re- recreation uh, if they want to listen to that. It's a little bit. I believe it's called the destroyer. Extra... Mm, the destroyer, very nice. Yeah. Well, oh. I think. But yeah, I think so we... <laughs> did you did you want to kind of reflect on on Terry Nations and what he brought to the show, at least in the '60s, as a writer and stuff like that? Uh, okay, let's see. I mean, look, he's a. Uh... His major contribution to the show is maybe the, like, the seminal contribution to the show up to this point, that being the Daleks as a concept. I think, you know, if he had done nothing else, his place in the show's history would have been secure. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of hard to imagine the show as I know it, which is just up to this point, uh, without him being a part of the team. I mean, if he hadn't come around, it's possible the show is... A, very different. B, not on the air anymore without the Daleks as being like that big hook. So that's my feelings on them. I don't know. uh, What are your thoughts? 
Well, I, you know, I, going back and, and watching some of his, his episodes, at least here in the 60s, I didn't notice how he was always he was always a very ambitious writer. Um, I, I feel like all of his scripts were incredibly ambitious and incredibly, like, imaginative. Even when they didn't work, they're imaginative. Like, the keys of Marinus, right? Right. We didn't, we didn't like that story very much. It does have its fans. But it still was, I mean, it was incredibly ambitious. It was, you know, every every episode being its own, like, world. He He was also very, I think interested in creating unique worlds for the doctor to go to, right? He had Scarrow starting on a petrified forest and, and he was dealing with these mutant and um, cyborgs. And then, you know, he, you know, in the chase you had, he was, they were on a, you know, a planet that used to be full of water, but now was a desert. And you have these people who used to be water creatures who have turned to kind of amphibians. You know, I mean, the, these are kind of big ideas that he, squeezes into the episodes as much as he can you know here in dog's master plan the the doctor gets sent to a place with invisible monsters on it that are eight feet tall who battle the daleks like i feel like he was always throwing in a lot of creativity there and never just kind of resting on like oh this is the daleks people just want to see the daleks let's just give them more and more daleks i feel like he never kind of rested on his laurels as far as that goes yeah agreed and you can kind of see like the scope increasing every time right and you right. Know, even though the keys of marinus didn't work in our estimation like elements of that kind of show up in the chase i you know i think it was good of him to not abandon that idea of you know every episode can feel a little different because i think it works like gangbusters and i think actually that's a good transition to what we're gonna be talking about next week because it really does feel like building off of that episode 7 through 12 do and uh yeah and every dalek story kind of felt different from each other um, the Daleks is different from the Dalek invasion of Earth, which is different from the Chase, which is different from this. And um, yeah, I, there's definitely a version of this show where they just <laughs> do the same thing over and over, like they invade Earth again, and they, you know, whatever. And uh, even though there's kind of tropes, they always kind of lead to like a chase aspect. They feel different enough that you don't really sit there and go, like, I feel like I've seen this already. Yeah, I think I that's he, that's key. He does. Yeah, he he kind of finds a way to make typical tropes work and maybe it's because the tropes are still new when he was writing them i'm not sure you know yeah possible i mean this is almost 60 years ago so yeah. it, they certainly were fresher back in the you know 1960s <laughs> yes um so yeah uh i'm excited for him to uh return to the show does terry Nation? no i forget terry nation comes back in the 70s is that right 70s yeah i think his so, next one's in 1973 and so we're talking about that's not too far know. from now yeah it's not too bad well if we don't have any other business uh i think we've hit our big fat to be continued um you know uh if you like what you heard uh you know give us a Give us a give us a like and a five star rating on the podcatcher if you're choosing. Uh, follow us on Twitter at PC Historians. You can follow us on Instagram at Pop Culture Historians Podcast. And all it leaves is our uh, little words of wisdom or a life lesson. I think this one is pretty clear cut. You're getting two for this story. You know, one oh for this wow! One well, for next week. That's true, but isn't epic, right? So that makes sense. And there's a lot to learn from this one. This one feels pretty clear cut to me. If your boss tells you to go kill your brother, um, 
rethink your job. That's yeah. all. At least maybe maybe that's... hesitate before pulling a trigger, right? Yeah. Seek further information, you know, <laughs> inquire, inquire further. Don't just take that face value because that feels like a toxic work environment to me. <laughs> and I don't think you need to stand for You're a strong woman, Sarah. You don't need to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. We'll see what happens to our uh, friends in their poisonous air next week. We got lots of fun stuff talking about uh, 7 through 12 and some other surprises along the way. Uh, as we cover the second half of Dalek and uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth, Dalek Master Plan uh, next week. Uh, see you all then. <laughs>